Hello and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020 and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. I'm Lara Lightbody, the producer of this show. Apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of Shelter at Home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in, and at the same time preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones or that speaker, grab a cup of tea or a glass of the good stuff and take a seat. This is Coexisting. Hello, I'm Belinda. At the moment, I'm sitting at home in Sydney, Australia, on the East Coast. I'm an artist, I'm an arts consultant, and also a yoga teacher. Today is, it's 105 days since lockdown started in Australia. The first six weeks were pretty intense, but um, at about the six-week point, they started easing some of the restrictions because we'd had good results with management here. At eight weeks, they eased further. And now I'm not sure what stage we're up to, but it's a very different world to where we were eight weeks ago. I'm living at home with my husband And up until about a month ago, I had my daughter and her partner living here. So they'd just moved up from Melbourne and were in the throes of finding their own place when the COVID restrictions came in. We're all so happy that we were together over that time. Such a stressful time, so much being thrown at us. And uh, if we'd had them at a distance, it would have been so much more cause for anxiety. Sure, it had its challenges. We'd been empty nesters for 10 years. So it was a bit of a shock opening up the home to somebody for more than a couple of nights. 24-7, all of us working from home. But to be honest, it worked really, really well. We all managed to find a place to settle in and get done what we had to get done. My yoga studio turned into the local federal prosecutor's office. (laughs) It's a bit of a contrast of activities going on up there. And at night, it was great. We all got together. We had great meals, good conversation, lots of games. We did a little bit of virtual travel at mealtimes. We had a big trip planned for the end of the year which obviously has been cancelled. So we virtually travelled there. So we went to Korea 
and we had a Korean menu and we listened to K-pop and talked about what we might have done. So you know, we did our best to sort of entertain ourselves. <laughs> As an artist, my own personal arts practice didn't come to a grinding halt, <laughs> but I found it very hard to continue. And I, I guess part of that's a response to having so many people in the house and having to share space. The other part of that is I was quite anxious about where all of this was taking us. So I put my energies into nurturing everybody. So I'd spend my time cooking, cleaning up obsessively, cleaning door handles and <laughs> things like that, planting a vegetable garden, doing the grocery shopping and delivering groceries to older family members because ultimately I'm responsible for quite a few older family members. So there was a cause of anxiety as well. So I walked away really from the practical side of my art practice, but I think it was always in the back of my mind. Really the arts community as a whole here in Australia has been absolutely flawed, as I'm sure all over the world by these COVID restrictions of performing arts. Obviously, nothing's happening in the theatres. The gallery's closed. And for Sydney, we'd just launched the Biennale, Sydney Biennale. I think on the 9th of March were all of the openings of Enesages and all the artists and the curators and the academics had come in from overseas for what was anticipated as being a very important Biennale. Um, first time an artist had curated it. And what's more, that artist was Indigenous. So it was a totally new approach, new perspective. The curator, Brooke Andrews, Biennale had been very much anticipated over the last couple of years. He had been announcing a selection of artists that we weren't necessarily familiar with. Often at the Biennales, you get this sort of repetition. You get this core group that you see all over the world. But um, Brooke Andrew had brought in a lot of First Nation artists to offer, you know, a very different perspective on the world. So I think a very important Biennale and really tragic when that all had to be shut down. Yeah, all the venues shut but the other side to that is the Biennale was fantastic with the online content. So you could do some virtual tours. There were interviews with the curator and artists, fantastic playlists on Spotify. It's opened up this whole new world of music, which is just wonderful, which I'm taking into my studio now and really enjoying. In the early days of lockdown, there were very few reasons you could leave the house. One of them was for shopping, which I found to be a very stressful activity. There was no understanding of social distancing at that stage. People had no idea how to manage the space around them. And the other side to that is the supermarkets. The empty shelves in the supermarkets was just something I couldn't countenance. No toilet paper, no flour, no rice, no pasta. Depression-era stories. I, mean, I remember my mother talking about um, that sort of situation in the war 
Another reason we could leave the house was for exercise and that was fantastic because here in Australia we have so much space. We have beautiful national parks. So to be able to go to the national park and through the week have it virtually to yourself was magic. Being able to get away from a household full of people and be on your own out there was really a very welcome contrast. I'd get on the ferry in what would normally be peak hour. The ferry's right at the end of my street. I'd catch the ferry into the city, a totally empty city. Nobody was on the streets. It was really very eerie walking those city streets. The harbour is the heart of Sydney, really. Public transport on the ferries, there's party boats, there's cruise ships, there's pleasure craft, yachts, fishing boats. The harbour's been very quiet, very peaceful. In the early days, the only craft on the harbour were the ferries. Um, construction never stopped here. So there's quite a bit of construction going on in the city. So construction barges were still going past, but there was no pleasure craft, no yacht racing. So quiet. I'd never seen the harbour so quiet. And to get on a ferry and have a ferry to myself was just absolutely bizarre. And an experience I'm really glad I had, but I don't want that to be an ongoing case. <laughs> you know, it's not the way it should be. Life's coming back to normal in the city now. The restaurants are opening up. Cafe shops are open, so there's a little bit more life happening. I do think there's quite a bit of inertia, though. I mean, I think in some people's cases there might even be a bit of phobia. People are very gently stepping out. But after being so contained for so long, to take those first steps out can be quite a big step. Social distancing rules, of course, are still in place. You can have up to 20 people in your house, which was a blessing for us because we had to put my father's memorial off for months because we couldn't have a group of people together and that's what he wanted. As soon as the 20-person rule <laughs> came in, we grabbed that. My mother lives an hour and a half out of Sydney and Dad was in a nursing home in the same area. I still visited them. They needed the support. So I could have justified it had I been pulled up on the road. I think I could have justified it. Two elderly people in need of support. So I was still allowed to visit Dad. The only people that could visit Dad were Mum and I. He couldn't have any other visitors. And, of course, you know, we were virtually sprayed down and sterilised and masked and whatever to go in to see him. So I was actually with him the morning he died, the morning of the day he died. After it happened, it was even more important to have mum with us. The first couple of weeks, I didn't take her out of her environment because when a death is fresh, that's when people are pouring all the attention on you and I thought it was important for her to receive that and I guess to sort of step over that threshold into widowhood in her own environment in a way. But after that initial surge of concern around her dissipated a bit, I started bringing her up to Sydney regularly. 
I actually think he was an accidental COVID victim. People, his his lifeblood, he just thrived on his social connections. And with all the restrictions and their cutting visitors, every time he's, he met with somebody, his eyes would light up and he'd be energised. But without that constant flow of people in to visit him, yeah, I think it just accelerated things. Offices, some office workers have gone back. It's very complex trying to get people up into those high-rise towers. If you can only have a maximum of two people in a lift, it could take all day to get them up and down and no work is done. (laughs) So I know at one stage in the city, the council was asking the big businesses not to go back, but now they're saying they're not even going to contemplate going back until 2021. When they do go back, there's going to be a um, work-at-home roster system. So a lot of businesses won't be fully populated either. I know one of the major banks has three large buildings in Melbourne and they're getting rid of two of them. Where I live, though, I'm in the inner city. When we're at the peak of lockdown in our local shops, it was still quite busy. There was grocery shopping, but I think with everybody working at home, they'll have their caffeine addictions. (laughs) So there were queues outside the cafes, distanced queues outside the cafes as people were waiting to feed their habit. Lots of families walking together. Bike sales went through the roof. And I'd never seen, we've got very narrow, busy streets where I live. I'd never seen kids on bikes They were all over the place. It was wonderful to see kids on bikes. Here in Sydney at the moment, it's about midday. I'm sitting in my living room and I'm looking across Sydney Harbour. There's a channel of water in front of me and Piermont over the way. Off to the left is the newly constructed centre of Sydney, Barangaroo, where we have our highest buildings. If I was to go out on the balcony and look around to the right, there's a cruise ship terminal around to the right. So normally, as I look out there, there would be a lot of traffic going to and fro. There'd be yachts going out for a sail. There'd be fishing boats heading out. Every now and then, I'd look up out of the window, I wouldn't have had any warning at all, and there'd be an enormous cruise ship that just blocks out the whole view, quietly, quietly cruising past. Well, you know, they're a thing of the past. I don't know when they're going to come back into Sydney Harbour. One of the last to leave, one of the last to go past our place, is a boat called the Ruby Princess, which was the boat that brought most of the cases to Australia, I think, are over 600 cases of COVID, a result of disembarking those passengers. I think they'd been doing a cruise around the Pacific, I think. But the rate of contamination on those cruise ships is extraordinary. The floating Petri dishes <laughs> is how they've been referred to for good reason. A friend of mine's parents were on that boat and They were very, very sick by the time they got home to Brisbane. And sadly, um, Queensland 
closed down, they closed their borders, as a lot of the states did, closed their borders. And my friend was unable to get up there to visit them. Most of the states, Tasmania was the first, Tasmania closed down its borders, followed very quickly by Queensland, South Australia, West Australia. Northern Territory, I don't know that they needed, the borders were blocked around them anyway. In the last week, there's been an incredible spike in Victoria and they responded by initially closing down a number of suburbs, trying to isolate the issue there. The issue that, by the way, resulted from poor management in one of the quarantine hotels, the security guards caught the virus. So for people returning from overseas, in the early days they were self-isolating at home, but they decided to take more control over that and they are now using hotels to quarantine people for 14 days when they arrive. The virus escaped from a room to security guards. They shared it among themselves and then took it to their own communities. Look, in terms of numbers compared to what's going on in other parts of the world, it's not horrendous. But if you look at the shape of that spike, it's really frightening. So they closed down the suburbs and then on the weekend with absolutely no notice at all, they closed down six towers, Housing Commission towers, that had a number of cases in them. I think the number of cases in the towers has more than doubled since they closed them down. And then as of midnight last night, Melbourne CBD's gone back into full lockdown for six weeks and they closed the border between New South Wales and Victoria for the first time in 100 years since the Spanish flu. In Australia, there's been quite a lot of resistance to masks. I personally, having spent time in Asia, I'm very respectful of all of that. So I was one of the very few people at the supermarket with my mask and gloves on as well. The official advice was there are a waste of time, that germs spread more readily if you don't use the mask properly, that the focus should be on keeping hands and surfaces clean. People have been very resistant to wearing them and um, that's still the case, sadly. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens in Melbourne with this spike. A girlfriend of mine started up a, a WhatsApp group, a group of artists, and we meet regularly in normal times. And it's been a great support for everybody. So in the early days, it, we were sharing information and ideas, trying to work out what the hell was going on around us. And then we started doing weekly Zoom drinks where we'd sit in our respective lounge rooms, share a drink, share a laugh. It's been an amazing support for all of us, I have to say. And a couple of weeks ago when galleries started reopening, we all got together physically and we went to Cockatoo Island to visit the Viennale. And I have to say, I was so excited about that, about something that not so long ago I may not have found time to squeeze it into my schedule. But the thought of meeting up with these people and physically spending time with them and sharing something we're all passionate about, I was 
on edge, couldn't wait. That shift touched me, just being so excited about seeing people. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when I was doing my walks through the city, there's so many sculptures and things that I'd seen over the years that you, know, you race past in your day-to-day life, and I'd stop. And I'd spend time with them, and some of them were quite dense, you know, involving poetry and multiple objects. And, but I took the time just to be there in that moment, and I thought that's my resolution coming out of this is to take that space with me as I go forward. So I hope so. I hope it's going to stay with me. I've got a couple of friends who have had really bad problems with anxiety and depression, and somebody else who there's been a bit of violence in the household. And this is just among my friendship group that I thought I had close tabs on. There's going to be so many heartbreaking stories that come out of all this over a considerable amount of time. Like those poor people in Melbourne, 3,000 of them locked in those towers with no warning, no warning, it just happened immediately. They were locked in the towers, and those are the people that need help the most. If there's a message I'd like to send out to the world, we've all had to accept so much change, a lifetime's worth of change in such a short period of time. Change is something that's uh, normally it's very hard to accommodate in your life. It's very hard to make change, ongoing change to your life. Some of the change is not so great, but if you can just sift through it and work out what good changes you can make and embrace it. I think now's the time to to make change in yourself but also to project that out to hopefully contribute to making things, making the world a better place, I guess, you know. Maybe there's something we can do to improve the environment, to improve social inequality. Start with yourself and then share that. Thank you for listening to Coexisting. It's Lara Lightbody, the producer of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, here is where I need your help. Hit the subscribe button so Coexisting comes up automatically in your feed. Secondly, write a review and rate with stars, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And if there's anyone out there that you think would make a great guest, just get in touch. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn as Coexisting Podcast. That way, that many more people will find us.